kind of finished up last week dealing with um, the types of law we were talking about, the law of God, the law of Moses, the law of Christ, right? Uh, so we kind of finished that up last week. So anybody have a question on a new topic you want to get started? Anybody? Ms. Donna? Who was the dinosaur in the video? <laughs> um, I think in uh, 2 Maccabees, uh, chapter 12, it tells us... <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm supposed to reveal that. Um, I don't know. I'll have, to, I'll have to find out. You recognize the shoes? Who's, whose shoes? They're Brian's shoes? You recognize the shoes? Yeah. It was Brian, yeah. Brian. Yeah. Uh, and some people were saying, oh, we really liked you in the video, Pastor. I was like, what video? What are you talking about? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They had they had a lot of people honking. They said everybody was honking and waving and hey, you know, and um, even some people in McDonald's. One of the, I think Megan went back in. And they're like, "Are you with that dinosaur out there?" And she's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Is that for your church's thing coming up, VBS?" Yeah. Okay, we're gonna try to bring our kids to that. That's awesome. So, <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah. So. Yeah, we had we had the dinosaur out Thursday night as well when we were going out and inviting kids to church and stuff. And of course, it was a little warm that night, and uh, so Brian was in it for a while. And then it got really hot, and so then he switched with uh, I think it was Sammy. I think Sammy got in it, and they were so yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, I've heard there are going to be some other dinosaurs this week in VBS too. So you never know what's going to happen at our church. So yeah, and here I thought there was going to be like you know. The dinosaurs in the Bible, where did, no, it's like, who's the dinosaur in the video? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Anybody have a biblical question? <laughs> uh, Brother Dennis? Yeah, in 2 Hezekiah. <laughs> I think that's ne- next to 2 Maccabees, isn't it? Yes. Okay, sure. In Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, um, Peter is preaching, and as he finishes up preaching, chapter 2, you get to verse 37, the crowd is in response. When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Mm Mm-hmm. Sunday when the pastor gets back, I'm getting 
Sure. Yeah, and that's, that's really good because that actually kind of goes with a question that somebody asked me a while back that I hadn't got to yet. Um, and again, I know sometimes you, you, some of you think, well, I asked Pastor a question and he's never got to it, so he must have forgot about it. I, I have most of them written down, right? Um, if you if you've sent it to me, now I will say this, if you, just, if you just told it to me in the foyer or something like that, I'm going to be honest, I may have forgotten it, right, because a lot of things go on. But if you emailed it to me or texted it to me or something like that, I have it written down, okay? So this was, um, this was a question that someone asked. And so let's go back to Luke chapter 7, because this really kind of ties in with what you're talking about there in Acts chapter 2, um, verses 37 and 38. It kind of ties in together. Because here's the thing that we have to... What is, the, what is the most important thing we have to remember when dealing with the book of Acts? Does anybody know? What is the most important thing you have to remember when dealing with the book of Acts? What's that? Start of the church, right? You have the, the church being started in the book of Acts. That's true, right? What's the most important thing, Brother Jeff? Okay, it's dealing with kind of the, the starting of the church, with the apostles, things like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? The act of the Holy Spirit the okay, it's dealing with the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. That's right. And the church is being established, right? It's being started there. Okay. The most important thing, and this is why if, if we're not careful with the book of Acts, okay, we can, you can really get into a lot of false doctrine if you don't understand this one principle about the book of Acts, okay? And it's interesting, the book of Acts, right? Remember, the book of Acts is not a epistle. What is an epistle? A letter to the churches, right? The book of Acts is not a letter to the churches, right? Um, So when we get to Romans, like Romans, the epistle to the Romans, right? Um, Corinthians, the epistle to the Corinthians. uh, Thessalonians, the epistle to the Thessalonians, okay? Acts is not a letter written to a church, okay? So again, remember, even how we find Scripture is important, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, right? That's the beginning of his ministry, right? He's laying the foundation for the church, in Acts is when we see the church being started, okay? We see that coming to fruition. And then we have all the letters that Paul wrote to the churches trying to explain how the church is supposed to be, right? That's where all, you get doctrine, uh, you get what's supposed to be done in the church, what's not supposed to be done in the church, right? And so there's, there's a foundation, there's something being laid here even in how God has placed them in Scripture, so the thing that we have to remember about the book of Acts, and again, this is why I say this is, uh, this is the most important thing that we can remember about the book of Acts when we're studying it, okay, is the book of Acts is a transitional book. It's transitional. What do I mean by that? 
When I say it's transitional, what am I, what am I referring to? Brother Rob? It's going from the law in the Old Testament into the church age and the New Testament, right? It's transitioning. You're transitioning from one to another, okay? So when you transition from one thing to another, guess what you have in transition? What am I doing with my fingers here? You have overlap, right? There's going to be some things that are overlapping, why? Because the, the, the church is not fully established as far as being known yet because you're coming from the Old Testament. You're coming from the law. You're transitioning into something. Now, at the end of the book of Acts, guess what we find? We find the church very well established. Okay? That's why, again, when you think about, the, when you think about miracles and the signs and all these different things, okay, at the beginning of the book of Acts, guess what we find? We find speaking in tongues, and we find miracles, and we find healing, and we find all these different things in the beginning of the book of Acts. When you get to the end of the book of Acts, guess what you don't find? You don't find tongues and healings and miracles and all these different things. Why? Because of the purpose of them, right? Again, Acts is a transitional book, okay? And we have to understand that it's transitional to understand exactly what is taking place, okay? So understanding this is transitional is going to help us when we look at some scripture here, okay? So going back to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7, so the question was about verse number 35, right? But wisdom is justified of all her children. And uh, uh, I, I don't remember the exact way that the person asked the question, but when we're looking re- down here in verse 31 through 35, uh, he says, And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation to what are they like? They are likened to children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have uh, mourned to you, and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath a devil." The son of man is come, eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. Now that's an interesting thing for Jesus to say, right? So the question was, dealing kind of with this passage, what does that mean, verse 35? What does that mean, wisdom is justified of all her children? Because again, when you look here, we're dealing with two people. Who are the two people? John the Baptist and Jesus, right? We're dealing with two people, John the Baptist and Jesus, okay? So when we're looking here, what does he mean here in this passage? Why does he he say this, right? Why does he even say in verse 31, whereunto shall I liken the men of this generation to what are they like? He says, how, am I, how can I, uh, Jesus is saying, how can I describe this generation? How can I tell you what this generation is like? And then he gives an example. They are like unto the children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another and saying, we have piped unto you, you have not danced. We have mourned to you, you have not wept. He's saying that the people of this generation are fickle, right? He's saying, we have piped unto you, 
In other words, we've, we've played music and you haven't danced. You're, it's like you're in sorrow. And then he says, so we have mourned to you and you have not wept. So it's like, whatever we do for you, you do the opposite, is what he's saying. And, and he shows us. John the Baptist came neither eating, drink, uh, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, he hath a devil. So John the Baptist came, um, and, you know, he, yeah, let's, let's be honest and face it. He probably looked funny. He had a Nazarite vow. He definitely looked funny, okay? Uh, in the Nazarite vow, they were not allowed to cut their hair. So you've got this dude with long, scraggly hair wearing uh, camel skins, coming from the desert, eating locusts and wild honey. I'm going to say he probably didn't look the stereotypical type of a Jew of that day. Can we, can we say that? Probably, right? And they said, well, this man has a devil. So then Jesus comes along, not looking like that, but looking more of a appearance-wise, the stereotypical Jew, right? And not only eating, not eating bread or, or wine, but now he, he's saying the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and ye say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. So John is not doing these things, and you call him he has a devil. Jesus comes doing these things, and you say, he's a wine-bibber. He's gluttonous. He's a friend of publicans and sinners. So he's saying, you see what Jesus is saying here? He's like, you're fickle, right? John comes not doing it, and you don't like him. Jesus comes doing it, and you don't like him either. Do we have, do we have a word for that today? What, what would you call that? Haters, <laughs> haters gonna hate, right? <laughs> right? Inconsistent. Anybody else? What, what what do we call that? Two faced, right? I mean, I don't know that there's necessarily one single word to describe it, but this is this is what he's saying. How can I liken this generation? He said, "Let me show you what this generation is like." Right? You got a guy over here that's that's not eating and not drinking. You say, "Well, he's he's got a devil." And then you have a guy over here that is doing these things. Well, you know, he's bad too. So what do you want? What do you want then? If, if both guys are doing the opposite and you hate both of them, what do you want? What are you looking for then? Right? Now, why were they both being hated? We'll get to that in a second. But watch what he says in verse 35. And so Jesus after giving this example, because he's giving an example to them, he says, but wisdom is justified of all her children. So Jesus compares that generation to people who were childish. They're childish, right? Not childlike. They weren't being childlike. They were being childish, okay? Look, just because you're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 doesn't mean you can't be childish, right? We can all still be childish. Now, we may not look like a child, but we can all act like children. We can act like kids, right? We can be childish, okay? Nothing pleased this generation. Nothing pleased them, right? You ever, you ever had a kid, you, you know, I'm hungry. You want a banana? No. 
Do you want a sandwich? No. Do you want a cookie? No. You want some milk? No. What do you want? I don't know. Oh, wait, that was your wife? No, I'm just <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, there's like that you can't you can't please them, right? I mean, they're they're all they're, there's you can't please them. If you give them something, then they see somebody else has something. Well, I want that now. Well, what about this? Well, I want that. What they had, and so you give them that, and then that person goes and gets what they had. Well, now I want that. You, this you just can't please them. They're childish, right? So he's referring. He's talking about. I, I don't think Jesus is talking about the whole generation, the whole people here. I think he's specifically referring to the religious leaders, uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, right? Uh, because again, if you look up in verse number 30, he says, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against them, right? So it's the, it's the religious people of the day, right? The, the higher ups, the, the higher people, the religious society, the, uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, right? So John was an individual who declared a stern message. John came with a message of judgment. John's preaching this message, right? He preaches a message of judgment, okay? Um, And they say, John has a demon. Look back in verse number 24. When the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live uh, delicately are in king's courts. And what went you out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, uh, much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, uh, which shall prepare the way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater than John the Baptist. For he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater. Right? So Jesus is talking about what John is being sent to do. He has been sent to be that forerunner. I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Okay? Now, hold your place here. Go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter uh, 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse number 7. But he, this is John... John the Baptist, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. So at John's baptism, you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming out, and John's pretty harsh with them. I mean, he basically just called them a bunch of snakes. He said, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So John's message is being given, and he's telling the people to repent. And what are they saying about John? He has a demon. John has a demon, right? He has a devil. Jesus mingles with the people. He preaches uh, a, a gracious message, still repent, but the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he's healing people, and he's with people. Um, and they say he's a glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. So they wanted neither, when you, again, when you look here in, in back in Luke chapter 7, when you think about this, the, the piping and the dancing uh, in the funeral, the mourning, they didn't want the funeral, the happiness, or, and they didn't want the mourning of the, of the funeral either. 
They didn't want the, the joy of a wedding nor the, the mourning of a funeral. Nothing could please them. Nothing could make them happy. They, they wanted to avoid truth. They did not want to hear truth. Okay? And this is why Jesus is saying this, right? Um, people who want to avoid truth about themselves will always find someone else to criticize. You understand that? Do you know why most people end up, um, and I'm not saying this is 100%, but I'm just saying, do you know why most people end up uh, leaving a church and going to another church? It's not because of doctrine, right? It's because they don't want to hear the truth and admit that the message that is being preached is right. So what do they do? Well, I'll just go find somewhere else where they'll they won't tell me that. That's what they do, right? Um, and, and so that's the thing. Uh, we'll find someone that is this preaching what we want to hear, right? Um, and so instead of accepting the truth about what Scripture says, we'll just find, we'll just criticize the preacher, we'll criticize whatever, and then we'll just go somewhere else, right? And this is one way they justify themselves, Again, think about it. They are trying to justify themselves. That's what, the, that's what the religious leaders and people are doing during this day. They're trying to justify themselves. But this is why he says at the end of verse 35, but wisdom is justified of all her children. God's wisdom is not frustrated by the arguments of the wise and the prudent. God's wisdom is not frustrated by truth, okay? It is, it is demonstrated, God's wisdom is demonstrated in the changed lives of those who believe. You can see the truth of God. Uh, and again, this is how true wisdom is justified. Again, think about these people that were coming to John, and what is he preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he baptized them. We're going to get to that. Well, we might get to that today. We'll see how much time we have, right? But he's talking about how, again, this justification, true wisdom, and this is what he says, wisdom is justified of all her children, okay? So people who want to avoid truth, they simply criticize, and that's why they criticize John, they criticize Jesus, because they did not want to accept the truth that either of them were saying. So instead of accepting the truth, they'll criticize the person, well, John didn't, John didn't come eating and drinking, so he must not be right. Well, Jesus came eating and drinking, so he must not. They're, not. they're not trying to tear down the message. They're trying to tear down the person. Okay? And that's what they're doing. They're trying to destroy the person. They're trying to criticize the person because they don't want to accept the message. But wisdom, or those who are wise, will not be put off by a message, Right? A person who is wise, again, especially when you're thinking of in the church context, a wise Christian is not going to be put off by conviction. Now, a lot of Christians are put off by conviction, right? And that's why, well, I don't like that, so I'm going to go find somewhere else. Why? Because of conviction. But why why won't a wise Christian be upset about conviction? Why won't a wise Christian be upset about truth? 
Why, why won't somebody who is really trying to please God with their life, why would they not be upset about conviction? Why would they actually want to be convicted? Bob? Okay. Okay. But, but what, is it, what is it about conviction, though? What is the purpose of conviction? Joe? Ah. See, conviction is what helps us to see, hey, that's not right, right? What you're doing is not right, what you're saying is not right, where you're going is not right, or what you're not doing isn't right, right? And so conviction is there. The Holy Spirit convicts us to show us that we need to make a change. There needs to be a change that needs to be made. But yet for for so many Christians, we don't want that change, and that's why we don't want conviction. That's why we don't want messages of that are that are truth uh messages that really are are grounded in the word of god we just that's why even in our society we just want things to make us feel better about ourselves why because we don't want to change we don't want to change we just want to stay the way we are we're happy the way we are we're happy doing what we're doing don't make me change well conviction makes us change conviction reveals to us what we're doing wrong or what we're not doing and god is saying hey that's not right. I need you to change. So now what do we have? We have a choice. We either yield to the Holy Spirit and we make the change or we fight the Holy Spirit and we don't make the change. Are you following me? Right? These religious leaders are being convicted. Now again, they're not saved, but they're being convicted by the Holy Spirit from the outside that they need to repent and that they need to change. And what are they saying? We don't want to have anything to do with it. We do not want to change. Therefore, so we don't have to change, let's tear down the person preaching the message. Let's talk about John. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's try to destroy them so that we don't have to change. Okay, so when you look at the word justified here, the uh, again he says wisdom is justified by all her children. Justified means declared just, right? That's what the word justified means. It means declared just, or shown to be just, or accepted as just. So those who are really wise, the children of wisdom, will pronounce right the right way. They will say, this is truth. They will recognize truth and say, this is right. And even though I might not be doing it, I know it's right. And so that, that means there's something I need to change to make sure that I am doing right. You understand? The, the children of wisdom recognize truth. They recognize what is right and understand that, hey, I may not be doing that. And therefore that's why I'm being convicted so that I change what I'm doing so that I am doing right. Wisdom is justified by all her children. They will see the wisdom of God, both in John and in Jesus. Now, John came very ascetic. In other words, he um, de- denied himself of many different things, right? He didn't eat bread. He didn't drink. He, he wore the, uh, the camel skins. He, he didn't uh, have a home and things like this. He was very, uh, he was uh, what they call asceticism. It's de- just denying self, right? 
But Jesus, when he came, he was very social. Jesus was very social. Now, again, I'm not talking about a social gospel. He was very social in what he did. He was always around people. He tried to bring people to himself. Um, he, he was with the publicans and sinners, right? Which is what he was being accused of, okay? But wisdom is going to see that both the message of John and the message of Jesus are right. They're both true. They're not going to walk in a critical way of those who can never be pleased, right? They're not going to follow, again, the the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the, the chief priests, all these. Nothing could please them. Nothing. Doesn't matter what they did, whether they came as John being ascetic or whether they came by Jesus being social, neither one could please them because the message was still the same. The truth was still there and they didn't want to accept the truth, right? So wisdom does have children. And this is interesting. Wisdom is justified of all her children, right? Wisdom has children. Guess what kind of children? Wise children. Wisdom has wise children. Those that are going to look not just simply at a person, not just simply at what they're doing, whether they're being ascetic or whether they're being social, they're going to look at the message and see, is the message true? It doesn't matter who's bringing the message. Is it true? And if the message is true, that means I need to follow it. That means there's something I need to learn from it, right? So wise children will justify or declare wisdom to what is wise and right. That's why, again, it's, it's, it is so important for Christians to take a stand for right. Because what are we doing? We are, we are being wise in what we're, the message that we're hearing people say, and we're saying, wait a minute, that's not a right message. And I'm not saying it has to be something that somebody's quoting scripture from, okay? Um, you know, that's why it's important for Christians. Hey, we need to listen to what our politicians are saying. Are they speaking a wise message or are they speaking a false message? Are they trying to pass wise bills, wise bills, or are they trying to put foolish bills? Now, again, how do we determine wise and foolish? The Word of God. We go back to the Word of God, right? And so if they're, if they're wise, then we're going to say, hey, that is true, and we're going to stand behind that. We're going we're to support that. If it's foolish, and we're going to say, wait a minute, that's not right, that's not wise, that's not biblical, that's not godly. Therefore, the wise will declare that both John and Jesus were right. Because again, it's not about the individual. It's not about what they look like, John and camel skins and Jesus being more social. It was about the message. The message was true, right? Um, So the way they lived and preached, whatever, they were both right because of the message. They were both of God. Again, and this is what Jesus brings out in those verses before. John was simply the forerunner Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. Okay? Um, and so when we think about this, the, the wise, the children of wisdom, are they're non-critical, if we could say. The saved who know that God sent both John, the ascetic, and Jesus, the Messiah, they're not going to be 
critical of the individual because they're looking at the message that is being preached. That's why um, you know, you, we have different preachers come in. And you notice that not every preacher preaches the same way, right? My dad will get up here and preach, and he preaches differently than I preach. Brother Joel gets up and preaches. He preaches differently than I preach. Uh, tonight, Brother Ted Mock will be preaching. He preaches differently, right? Why? It's not about the individual. It's not about the appearance. It's not about the individual. It's about the message, the message that is being preached, right? And if the message is true, it doesn't matter who is up here speaking. I need to recognize, wait a minute, that is truth. And especially if it's convicting, God's trying to convict me about something. Hey, God's saying there's something that you need to change. Okay, now am I willing to change it? The Pharisees, the Sadducees were not willing to change. Okay, We don't have time to get into it, and this is going to lead into Acts chapter 2. But next week, we're going to look in to see what was it they weren't willing to change. What, what weren't they willing to, willing to change? Because he, this is the whole thing. Jesus is saying, John came this way, I have come this way, and nothing has pleased you. You didn't accept either one. Even though the messages were very similar, nothing pleased you. Because the message brought conviction. That's why we saw back in Matthew, what does John say to the Pharisees? Oh, generation of vipers. Now, nobody, nobody likes to be name-called, right? But what is John trying to show them? He's trying to show them, hey, there is a message here, and you are completely rejecting it. You're rejecting it. And then when Jesus comes upon the scene and he starts preaching the message, what do they do? They completely reject his message as well. They're rejecting it. Why? Because there is, there is something, again, that the message is bringing conviction and conviction is saying, hey, there's something that needs to change. Something needs to change. Now, the, now then that leaves us with the option. Am I going to change? Am I going to follow the Holy Spirit and change and be what God wants me to be? Or am I going to resist the Holy Spirit and not change and just stay the way I am? But when I do that, when I resist the Holy Spirit, guess what that begins to lead me to do? What's that? Sin. Well, sin, that's true. But what, did the, what happened with the Pharisees and the religious leaders? They began to be critical of everything. And when you start resisting the Holy Spirit, again, you're not resisting the messenger. You're not resisting. They weren't resisting John. When, when they're not resisting the preacher. Guess who they're resisting? The Holy Spirit of God. And when you start resisting the Holy Spirit of God, you're going to find you're going to start getting critical. You're going to start having a critical. Nothing can please you. That's exactly what we find right here. Right? All right, we're going to have to stop there, and uh, we'll continue this uh, next week. Uh, And again, if you have a question or comment or anything, please text me, email me, write it on paper. Love to uh, go through some of this stuff with you. So uh, let's get ready for our morning service. If you want to take a peek over into the auditorium there, uh, starting to look really good over there. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed.